biggest hurdle that I probably went through was. Welcome to Truck Your Podcast. My name is Sebastian. This podcast is all about trucking. We love diesel engines, semi trucks, being on the road, and freedom. So let's go. What happened? Yeah, the market is a mess right now. It just, there are some things that are paying ridiculous amounts of money, and then there are some things that just aren't paying anything at all. And being able to make that adjustment, um, especially with today's fuel prices, is it's, it's going to make or break people. I'm already seeing that, to be honest with you. I've heard of some companies around Chicago that are, you know, they're trying to keep it the uh, under the radar, but again, and I own I own a fleet, so I can f- I feel it as well. We you know we've stopped my spot market operation was about ten percent, so it wasn't that bad. But it's it's uh, it's yeah. Tell me tell me more. So tell me uh, tell me a brief intro like what do I you do? I do the spot market every now and then. I do spot market every now and then, but most I, I currently run a dedicated that I've got set up with uh, with an agent I've been working with now for about a year. Uh, he actually runs a lot of freight out of General Motors. Used to do it with Ford, and then Ford kind of wasn't working out, so I switched over to GM. Um, but then whenever their plants shut down, I'll switch over to the spot market, kind of play around there for a bit, kind of see where everything's at. Um, before my dedicated turns back on again. But um, like if, if you're able to get into automotive freight like that, from what I've seen so far, that's where a lot of the money is right now. And especially with General Motors specifically, they're the only ones that are paying a high enough fuel surcharge to actually cover these high costs of fuel. Um, I ran grocery loads, I want to say two weeks ago, and I was only getting like 32 cents a mile for fuel surcharge. Wow. Now I'm back doing General Motors. I'm getting 71 cents per mile fuel surcharge. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Where are you based on? Where, where are you at right now? What state? Big difference. So, I'm currently based in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And then I actually run to... Uh, and then I run Kentucky back up into like Akron and Ohio and then Ohio back to Lansing and I just kind of make that loop um, with the dedicated and then whenever I get on the spot market I usually shoot for anything that's going for I'll try to find some sort of hazmat going into Chicago because it's usually paying decent and then I can pretty much pick wherever I want to go at that point and find something that's over four dollars a mile going just about anywhere Uh, most of the time I try going to Florida uh, I can get some pretty good loads out of there. Um, I usually shoot for like the Panhandle area because then as I start working my way back up north, going into like Alabama, Mississippi, uh, I tend to find even better freight that then gets me back into Ohio to get me back home. And so I end up doing fairly well in that regard. Um, yeah, that's I've sounds- actually been no further west than Kansas. Okay, that's pretty good. And how long do you usually stay out? I'm usually about four or five days, and then I'm home for the weekend. Uh, that's, that's pretty much what I told my wife I would do when I started doing this, because I was a company driver to begin with. 
I was home every night, but I was working a 14, 15 hour day, you know, sleep at home for six, seven hours and get right back up and do it all over again. So like while I was home, I was kind of not home, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I started doing this job and then most of the time it's, I'm out four days and then I'm done. The dedicated I run puts me home actually every other day. So I'll actually work six days doing this, but when I'm at home, I'm, I'm at home for four, five, six hours the day that I get home, and then I don't have to leave until everybody else is gone in the morning. So that makes it really nice for that's nice for me to do the, the run in the morning. So tell me, tell me more a little bit. How did you get get into uh, being an owner op? Can you share your like how long you drove as a company driver, and then when you pulled the trigger on actually buying a truck and and becoming an owner op? So I started, I actually got my CDL in, in 2015. After my dad had passed away, he gave me a little bit of money uh, with inheritance. And I, I went ahead and I took that inheritance to get my CDL and started driving truck. Um, did flatbed to start with, then went local about a year after that. I just, I got tired of the OTR thing. Um, was local for the longest time. You know, I, I from 2016 up until like right at 2020. Um, I had a buddy of mine, he had bought, currently driving now, um, a running owner operator doing a local thing. And then he got into financial issue. Um, he was, he really wasn't running his, his business properly. And, you know, when usually when you see a lot of influx in money, the first thing you want to do is you want to go spend it. You really don't want to go, you know, a lot of people fall into that trap of, well, I have all this on-hand cash. When in reality, it's not really on-hand cash anymore. It, it, it still belongs to the truck, still belongs to the business. And because of that, when, with his first major breakdown, it cost him $20,000, which he was able to fund out. But then like three months later, had another $35,000 repair pop up. And this all happened in the span of like seven months. And it buried him. So... Yeah having to go he went company for a little bit but then he couldn't make the payments to the shop that fixed his rig then he couldn't make the payments on the truck itself so he was deferring his payments to try to make up for it so that you know he tried to get some money in the bank but he currently uh, currently today he actually team drives with his dad and so his truck just sat there for a year and a half and uh he and I got to talking one day and he was talking about how the truck just sitting there kind of was bothering him and how he got, he didn't want to own a rig or, you know, that was just sitting there that was costing him money each month. So I told him like, well, why don't I just buy the truck off you? We talked about it for about a month, went back and forth on some details. And then I, I told him, I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay for what you had done to the truck and to maintenance and all that. But when it comes to the bank note, I'll pay that off transfer title to me we'll call it a day um and that's what i did i ended up buying the truck for a little over ten thousand dollars nice um i had to i had to put another seven thousand dollars into it to get it road legal uh it needed tires it needed brakes uh had to do uh i think two uh two pancakes had to get replaced for the brake chambers um you know and that that at least got it roadworthy for me to start working um, I did that in October of 
October of 2020. And then I actually started with Landstar in November of, uh, of the same year. We got Landstar did their inspection on the truck, something that they require to make sure the truck is safe and legal to drive down the highway. And then away I went. I started driving the rig. And nice. Then, Tell me what the rig is. What yeah. is the truck? So I currently have a 2013 780, uh, Volvo 780 with a D13. Uh, this particular D13 is actually the, one of the, yeah, I, I believe the mechanic said it's the second generation D13 that they made. This is where they still have the, you still use shims to adjust the valves rather than changing up the, uh, the adjustment screws was what they eventually went to. That, that actually happened three months after this engine was made. Um, three months later, the 2014 models have the, the next one up from what I'm currently driving. Yes. Um, runs pretty good. Uh, she, I bought her with 830,000 miles on it. Currently has 988,000 miles on it and running pretty strong right now. Do you know, um, do you know what they did? What type of work the previous owner did? What was the, What was the high bills that he uh, got? So the first, the first set of high bills that he ran into was the AGR cooler failed. And he also had a leak in the, uh, in the oil cooler. And maintenance alone on that was already $5,000 right out the door because he, you know, he, he always took his stuff to a dealership. Um, Ooh, we could talk about that a little bit. <laughs> so that, yeah. So he, he, that was part of it. That was his first, that was his first one. Then probably two weeks later or so he had to put a turbo on the truck too. Um, so that kind of collectively in that section was his first major ordeal that he had wrong with the rig. Um, with his second malfunction, ended up having to do with some of the other accessory components. Uh, he had to put a radiator in, a clutch fan assembly, like locked up and caused a bunch of issues there. Um, is that a manual or I shift? No, this is a 13 speed manual. 13 speed, okay. Yeah, it's got an Eaton Fuller in it. It's really nice. nice. That's a good combo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 336 rears. But it, uh, it used to be a FedEx truck, is what this truck used to be. And then when he bought it from the dealership, um, yeah, that was in, I think he bought this in 17. I think it was when he actually bought this rig. Um, what's your fuel mileage since I have you on the ratio? What's what what's are you tracking your fuel mileage? So I'm currently in the summertime I'm getting right around seven seven, seven eight, somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. And then during wintertime I get around seven one to six nine, somewhere in that ballpark. And what's your average speed? I currently drive sixty three. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's a that's uh, a good I was speed. driving sixty five, sixty eight for the longest time. And then, like, as prices started to kind of increase a little bit, I'm like, you know what? We're just going to kick the rig down some. Started driving 65. I tried using additives, trying different things there. Found the additives not really doing much of anything. But I noticed that slowing down the truck more helped. Um, so I, I, at some point, I want to redo the screws on the truck or the differentials. Yeah. Um, 
and get them to put them at like 264 because I don't haul a lot of weight. But like even when I'm on the, the spot board, I rarely pull anything over 25,000 pounds. Oh yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, so if I can if I can get away with putting like 264 rears on here and get better fuel economy, I'm really hoping that'll help with that. Um, yeah, definitely. That's that's the way to go. I have some gliders that um, are have the direct uh, transmission and 274s, and the fuel mileage is crazy. Uh, it's uh, such a big difference, and yeah. that's definitely a good move, especially yeah, like you said, you, you're not hauling heavy, and you know what, you're not that tall anyway. So that's, I don't know, what do you think it's gonna? I'm trying to think if you're at 7.7. Yeah, you can go into the eights easy with 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 doing that. Yeah, eight and a half to nine is what I would be hoping to shoot for if I were to make that kind of move. Um, the nice thing about where I drive is I don't pull hills. Like yeah. it's Ohio's so flat. fairly flat, Michigan's fairly flat, and then the portion of Kentucky that I'm in is only, you know, I'm only in Kentucky for thirty miles. So like it, the hills that I do pull are not very big they're not even graded <laughs> yeah yeah so, that's good and then yeah so and then obviously going to chicago whenever i'm on the spot board and running back down south of florida like the most hills i run into is tennessee and even then there's only like one or two big poles that i even take through tennessee at all so i mean it just i i really don't run the truck through the mountains if i if i can avoid it yeah and would you say so how how would you say how much how important is well how fast did you learn that fuel mileage is one of the most important things probably when fuel when i when i started buying fuel at 350 a gallon so when i the cool thing about Landstar, and I, I don't know about any of the other companies, but the discounts that we get on on fuel are really good. So usually what you see on the board is not what I pay. I, I'm usually a dollar under that. Yeah. Um, so they probably have a deal. Uh, most of the time of a dollar under that. You get some kind of a discount off of the cash uh, cash price, uh, I'm assuming, because it's a pretty large right. fleet. So they, they worked out. Do you uh, fuel at specific locations like or like pilot and fly jays or is it anywhere you get the discount our our biggest discounts come from ta petro and loves and i do get discounts at the other places it's just not as much like you know, we're we're talking you know anywhere between 30 and 80 cents difference between going to ta petro or loves compared to like a pilot flying jay or even Speedway for that matter, because like Speedway tends to have cheaper fuel by like 20, 30 cents already. And then Landstar gets like an additional 20, 25 cents on top of that. But it's still always cheaper to go to TA Petro Loves uh, yeah. for us. Loves is recent. Loves has only been recent for about the last probably seven months. Um, most of the time it was just TA Petro. So you're at Landstar. How, 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 do, you, how do you like it? Uh, it cut out real bad. So I have to Sorry. repeat that again. Would you? How would you say? How do you? How do you like being at Landstar? I like it. For my first company here, or my like my first company that I've that I've been with as an owner operator, 
there were hurdles I had to get over because then it just because like I was a company driver for like six years. So you have this company driver mentality and then you buy your own rig and Landstar will get out of your way nine times out of 10 for you to go do whatever it is that you want to go do. And it's not something I was ever used to. It, it took, it took me a good three, four months to book my own freight, set up my own schedules, um, and do all that sort of stuff. It was a steep learning curve at that point to do that. Um, I think then I was only hauling like one or two loads a week and thinking that I did good because well, that's what I did as a company driver. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until I had to redo, um, a class because what they do is you, you start in with the company and then about three months later, they make you go through a course to verify that, you know, what you're doing with the load board, how to properly search for loads, how to not bombard yourself with a bunch of loads because there are, there are like, if I were to look at the load board right now, I can pull up over 80,000 loads to go and to go and book across the country right now. Yeah. You know, how do I turn 80,000 loads into 25 in my area? This way I can pick and choose where I'm going to go and, and, and try to get the most money out of it. Um, once I took that class, I went from hauling one or two loads a week to hauling three to four loads a week and almost tripling my money that I was making before in the same time frame of going out. Um, that also helped me land this dedicated that I'm on too, because like once I started pushing myself and making, making relationships with these different agents that even that post these loads on the board, they notice that, hey, you know, you're a good driver. We're, how about this? I've got this other load here. I'm not having even posted on the board yet. Do you want it? You know, and then that relationship just kind of turns into what I currently do now is I run a dedicated lane that, you know, it gets me home every other day. And I'm, I'm it's it's six loads a week and it's, it's solid money. It yeah. really is. Tell me, tell me about the training for, uh, at Landstar. How... Is there specific training right before you start, or is it is it they let you go, they sign you up, sign you on, and then they just kind of pull you back in to 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 check on you? But is there like a training right before you start? Um, so they you have a classroom deal that you do for the first two days. Um, once you get it, once you get accepted at Landstar. You'll go through, and, and, and a lot of it's just going over hazmat stuff because they want to make sure that you you understand. Because at Landstar, you have to have your hazmat. You know, that, it's, that is a requirement. Yeah. So the first, your, the very first day, you're basically getting the crash course of hazmat and making sure that you understand it fully before you sit there and decide to grab a hazmat load and take because hazmat does pay well, depending on what it is and what you're hauling. Um, like most hazmat loads do pay pretty good. Um, and then into the second day, they start going over the load board. They let you research a little bit. They'll do a few examples. They'll have you like maybe plot out a route and that sort of thing. And then they show you the tools that they have that can actually plant a route for you ahead of time. And then you just call the agents up and book the freight, you know, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. But then you also get an advisor that you can call at any time. And it's, it's usually somebody who's been at the company for 15 plus years uh, is who their advisors are. So where if you have any questions, like maybe you've got load board questions, maybe you don't know exactly what to ask the agents when you call for a load. 
like for me, my, my learning curve that I learned real quick was grocery. I had no idea what a lumper fee was until I came to Landstar. And it wasn't until I delivered a load to Kroger and was told, well, it's $400 to unload your trailer. My jaw dropped. I'm like, what? (laughs) I had no idea, but that was a question I should have asked right at the start. And, um, and that was, that was part of that learning curve. But having that advisor was actually quite helpful for me to bounce ideas off on, well, this is the route that I planned. What do you think? You know, and, and, and it, it's, it's a super supportive program, even for new drivers coming into it. And even veterans here at Landstar too, sometimes even they run into issues or snags or they can't quite adapt. And so others will help out. It's, it's, it's a great company to come in and work with for that reason. And it's the best way somebody told me about it is that Landstar is as close as to your own authority as you can get without actually having, having it. it. Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that before. Did you have, is there any training associated with trucks and, and just like, like knowing trucks or that's completely left out and it's just purely booking and how a Landstar works. Is there, that is, is, it is purely up to you at that point. There are some things that they will guide you on. So, for example, one of the things that when they when they talk to other BCOs or, or other Landstar drivers um, about when they go to buy a rig, is making sure that you're not you're not financially strapping yourself. So they do not recommend that you go out and buy a truck and have a four thousand dollar payment. They recommend that you try to get that payment as close to like 1500 a month if you possibly can. And even that they say can be a little bit too much, um, especially depending on what you're doing. I mean, they'll, they'll help you in those regards, but they won't point you as to, you know, where to get your truck fixed, how to get your truck fixed, how to do it yourself. Um, the only other classes that I know of that they do is when it comes to like, if you want to haul like a step deck or a flatbed, um, you have to take a secure, uh, securement class. Um, just to make sure that you know, like how to secure everything to the deck, how to make it DOT legal, you know, making sure you have the proper equipment that you have, um, so on and so forth. So, I mean, that's, that's about as much of the training goes that, that they have but for the truck itself. No, they, it's, you know, now they do offer discounts at some places to get your truck worked on, but that's hit or miss. Sometimes it's not, it's not all the time. Have you had good experience with shops they recommend or they work with when they, let's say they, they have a discount with, you know, shop Y, ABC. Have you worked with any of those shops? I've worked with a handful of them. Um, the one particular in uh, Maslin, Ohio that, that I went to, I had a trailer, had a hole in the top, uh, found out that they also work on rigs there too. And so while they were also fixing the, the hole in my roof, uh, I had them put a wheel seal in on the tractor as well at the same time. And like, like that's, that's about the most of my extent that I have with it. Um, I ended up like the nice thing about where I live is I have a lot of local guys there and four Volvo dealers that I can go to if the truck needs worked on. So um, is that, is that what do you do, Chris? Is that that you go to uh, Volvo or you have a, a independent shop that works on your truck? I do both. So when it comes to accessory items on the rig, so if I have like a turbo or pulleys or um, maybe it's the, the cooling system, 
so that that sort of such i will take to my independent guy and it's just because he's cheaper uh he charges like 95 an hour he's a pretty good guy a little messy but you know you just give the truck a bath you call it a day when it when it comes down to when my truck starts throwing engine codes or starts throwing like uh, anything having to do with the after treatment system i take it right to the dealer and i let them do a full diagnostic on it just to verify what's going on and it's just because it's so finicky at least it, it's been that way with this rig this rig has had a very finicky life with its after treatment system and it like a lot of it just because of how neglected it was for the years that it was like i i've had to rebuild it already the only thing i haven't replaced on the after treatment side of this rig is the scr everything else is brand new and, and I put on the truck, and, and, I, and, and you're, you're at eight hundred thousand miles. So, um, are you saving for that SCR already? Um, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, yeah. I was told that the SCR itself is like ten thousand dollars, just just for the part. And that doesn't even include like what they have to do to install it and all that sort. Yeah, labor so, labor involved. Like, the part itself is is expensive, yeah. but. You, if the, it all depends on uh, multiple things, but usually you, you're in that mile range that it could already start. Uh, you could start yeah. maybe seeing something that's gonna that's gonna indicate that you're gonna have to uh, switch it. But uh, tell me about so um, when you got the truck from from the guy, you had to put the emission since then, or he did it for you and you just ran it. Uh, or or was it something that you had to address when you bought it? No, it's something I had to address right off the bat. See the, well, okay, not right off the bat. I, I drove the truck for five months, but every now and then I would get a knock sensor code. Mm -hmm. And then it would ask for a park regen. I would do the regen and go away. Um, and I wasn't sure that that's, when I talked to my buddy on the phone, he's like, well, yeah, it's been doing that for like for like a year. Like when I was there driving it, I'm like, well, and you didn't take it to a shop to address it. He's like, well, no, you just run the regen code goes away. You drive down the highway, just leave it alone. So that's what I was doing. Well, at one point it started to become more frequent. It went from like every other month to every month, to every couple of weeks, to then it turned into every couple of days. I'm like, all right, I got to get this thing and I got to figure out what is going on. And, and it's my, it's, a lot of that's my fault. I should have had a pre-inspection done on the rig proper to start with, like had them pull the valve cover and check all that such, man, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. Um, but that's the, also, uh, Chris, that's also something that, uh, particularly in pre pre-inspection, uh, the scenario, it's pretty hard to catch it because it did take you a little bit of time to actually start seeing the frequency go up, which means you were just using it and then it was just getting clogged up and clogged up. So necessarily, yeah. if you actually checked for it, the tech would say, well, it's good for now. Do you want to swap it now or do you want to keep going, make some money and then put it back in here, which I would recommend that. Right. It's, you just never know at what point you actually have the, you know, what, at what, when the, th the, region is not going to go through and then you're going to have to tow the truck. Right. So that's just, that's, that's the risk. But right. if you see the cadence increase, then that's usually when, when you want to, you want to address it, but the knocks so, so sorry. So, uh, what did you do? Did you just send the, uh, DPF to be baked or what did you do with it? No, it came out in pieces. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I took it to the dealership and they, and then they were tearing, they were kind of tearing it apart. 
Um, the def filter was like rusted, like it had never been replaced on the truck at all. Um, the, the, the def filter actually came out in three big pieces. Um, there's the piping that goes from, um, from the turbo. It's like a flex pipe that goes to down to the, the DOC. Yeah, the that was just riddled in pinholes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, I, like I said, I, I had to replace all that. And then just to finally get to the root cause of the whole problem, I had six injectors that were bad. They that's, did a leak that's, down that's test. That's typical. That's typical. Yeah, it's, it's typical. And then once they fixed that, uh, two weeks later, I did the injectors. I had to wait for parts to come in. And two of the injectors had black soot all over the top of them. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. So we did a six pack on it and then I had to put another turbo in it uh, probably seven months later. That was actually this year. I put a new turbo in it. The, the actuator is actually went bad, mm. not the turbo. Yeah. And um, the, like everywhere I called said that, well, they don't do the actuator because you, yeah. you used it's to be one. able to buy the actuator itself. They don't do yeah. that anymore. You have to buy the whole thing. So I went ahead and did the whole thing, and like now the truck is running like a champion. Um, Good. More yeah, Cummins, power than... Cummins does separate. Cummins has a separate actuator and turbo. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a lot more expensive than Volvo's turbo, but uh, still. Okay, so you did that, and then anything. So do you do you have a ballpark of what it what it cost you? Remember? So it cost me. That first set of repairs that I did was like right at twenty thousand. Um, I spent fifteen thousand doing rebuilding the after treatment system, and then, um, then I did the uh, the six pack of injectors. That was another four thousand dollars, and then I also had to address a, um, a coolant link that I had in the uh, res tank reservoir. Uh, which is apparently a common thing on these. So I just had them while they did the injectors, they did that at the same time. They didn't charge me any labor. They just charged me parts to do that. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. And then yeah. had them do the, had them um, do the thermostat at the same time. Because mm -hmm. again, they were already that deep into it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. Okay. And then, and then, go ahead. Uh, no, and I, I was going to ask you, so pretty much, um, the only thing right now that you, I mean, you've done all the emissions other than the SCR, which is going to probably, you know, I mean, I think you'd still, you still, you, I've seen trucks go up to a million, you know, I mean, you, it all depends on, on many factors, but usually what I found on, on my D13s, it's just a lot of that is electric too. So before the actual, the, the actual SCR has issues or you have, st you start having, uh, uh, you know, uh, issues with sensors usually you dig for the electrical because it's been a while 2013 it's been a while so you're going to have some uh wiring issues which, which usually uh fix the issue but at the same time i was gonna uh, ask you are you putting your knock sensors are you doing oem or are you doing aftermarket oh yeah yeah i always recommend yeah. that we've had multiple issues i've tested a couple aftermarket ones and they they never worked um so we just we just found whoever manufacturers the oems and we just order a bulk because you're not saving it's 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 cheaper but the like we had so many issues with 
with trucks not being co- not being able to complete regen and and um, was causing a lot of problems. And I just walked away from the aftermarket. I try to s- walk away from anything aftermarket. It has anything to do with emissions or the performance of the engine. So um, yeah, that's that's a good one. The only thing aftermarket that I have is the DPF is aftermarket, and it's just because Volvo did not have in stock, a yeah. DPF filter for me to in stock to buy, and they said they were on like a two month or three month back order, but they had plenty of the aftermarket ones, so I just went ahead and got one of them, uh, cheaper, but I mean it still fits, still works. Um, spoke to quite a few different techs that said that they hadn't had any issues or callbacks with them, so I just. Just went ahead and went with it. Uh, what tires are you running? Are you any specific, anything specific, or you're just whatever you you want to afford? You you can afford. So currently, I use uh, like I I really like Continental. Um, so I currently have Continental HS3 pluses as steers, and then I run the um, the HDL2 DL on my drive. Uh, and then their 11R 22.5. That's the 11R is what the truck was specced with when it was originally built. So I just went ahead and cap it. This way, it didn't mess with the speedometer or any of that sort of such. I know I probably could get better fuel economy going with a like yeah. a 295 75, you know, low pro somewhere in that ballpark. But it's there. I got mixed feedback on making that jump on whether or not it would actually hurt anything in the gear train um by doing a tire change like that i didn't think it would but then again i'm also not a a diesel tech yeah no no it wouldn't yeah (laughs) you would definitely save uh a decent amount on fuel but again decent i think it would be i think you would recognize it i think you would see it especially with some uh you know low rolling resistance tires you definitely you could get it especially when you when you run your truck, you can put the low resistant tire in the back because you're, you're taking care of it. Like for a fleet, obviously it's a little different. I used to think when I was driving my truck, yeah, you can get super singles, you can play with it and kind of monitor what's happening. But if you're starting to have a fleet, drivers don't care and you're putting expensive tires and it's just like, you know, a couple of mistakes, you go to a place where you right. shouldn't and all of a sudden you're losing an uh, expensive set of tires. As an owner-op, I strongly recommend low-resistance tires, especially the type of work that you do. Um, that's 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 going to save you, you know, all those things add up, right? The tires, the the size of the wheel, the aero you have around the truck, the uh, how fast you drive, the speed is the number one thing. But, um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it wouldn't change anything. You would just have to recalibrate the, the speedometer, which you know any Volvo dealer would do it for you. Interesting. Yeah. Also, do that next time. I'll, I'll I'll definitely keep that in mind next time I buy tires. Yeah, the only thing you would have to just remember the the there's a different rim size too, so you're gonna have to find rims that that could be costly, right? But if you have if you have those the rims. Uh, already or if you find cheap deal on the rims then you just swap those i would i would swap it i would i would go to low pro yeah uh tell me tell me uh if you were going to start you've been doing this for some time but if you're going to start today what advice would you give to yourself um 
I didn't send you that question, did I? <laughs> Man, that, that's no, I wasn't expecting that one. What would I tell myself? Um, honestly, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what I would tell myself if I were starting this today, other than the only thing I can come up with is just kind of go with your gut feeling. Like sometimes when you're booking freight and you're trying to look for loads and you, you have an idea in your head of where you want to go because you know that the next area you're going to go to is going to put you uh, into a, like a, a better area for freight. You know, you, you may deliver to some ho-dunk area and then the next load might take you to the next major city for you to grab something really good, but it only pays like a dirt cheap amount. Or you could just deadhead there, get there to that kind of freight and, and, and go with it anyways. And I have been burned so many times on this thought and theory that if I have less than 50 miles deadhead, I'm making money. So many times I have lost money booking that freight and then being like, oh, well, it's going to take 10 hours to load you. Or, oh, well, the, the, the shipper you or the receiver you've gone to is going to take five hours to unload that and which now screws up the next load you want to go pick up because you've scheduled yourself in a particular way, you know, for like a two or three hour unload. And, um, man, a lot of times I was second guessing myself just saying like, you know what? I should just deadhead there. And a lot of times I talk myself out of it and just, just, you got to stick with your gut. Like sometimes you just, you just know. So learning, learning lanes right so learning to to because some of those some of the things are unpredictable almost right with with long yeah. unloads but learning la lanes and understanding probably the, the 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 spot market if you you know if you're running otr uh, as an independent or with somebody just knowing how to plan properly yourself to to get the best roi on the rig right to, to have yeah. all the mileage covered what about what about truck advice what would you say to a guy if somebody was asking you uh, how to get started with a truck? Uh, what? Let me ask you a different question. What do you think was? I just kind of take it, took it to something else right now because I would ask you, what do, what was your biggest mess up or your biggest um, screw up uh, or your your biggest hurdle that you went through um in your in your own operator biggest hurdle that i went through hmm, biggest hurdle that i probably went through was honestly was actually buying this rig um <laughs> i had i had the option to buy a different truck um it was a it was a 2016 mac with uh, with an mp8 which is it's the same as the D13, same pretty much. There, there are some differences, but it's the same thing, uh, pretty much. But it had an I-shift transmission. It had 300,000 less miles, and they only wanted $36,000 for the truck. And with the amount of money that I have made and put into this rig, I could have paid that one off inside of a year. And that's probably the route that I should have gone. Um but do you think that 2016 wouldn't have issues? I'm sure it would have issues, but it, I probably would have ran into those issues much later down the road because if I had ran into those issues in the first year, it was warranty. Oh, okay. 
even at 36,000 miles, like the, the previous owner who bought the truck ran a fleet. Now that's, and he only bought from this dealership. And they always were new. All the work was done at that particular dealership all the time. It went nowhere else to get worked up. So they had a complete full work history on the rig. Um, they knew everything that they had ever done to the, to the truck. Um, uh, it was very well maintained. You know, all that sort of stuff, right? You know, just all up and up from there. But then the guy also bought the extended warranty to go with it, too. So it actually took the warranty to 800,000 miles. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the truck had, I think the truck had like 616,000 or 609,000 miles. So I was covered for the first two years easily, right? So with this rig, I've had, you know, I've, I've paid out over almost $40,000 in just repairs. At forty thousand dollars, they easily paid off that other truck inside the first year, and it's and it's not like I haven't made that money here at Landstar. I've I've, I've easily made that. Like here, here's the thing. Like even though I put a lot of money into this rig, I paid cash for all of it. I did not have to take a loan on any of it. Like I did, it's cash money went down into it, and that's hard to do. Yeah, that really is hard to do. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's if, if that that's actually probably would be my first. That'd probably be one of the things that I would tell myself right off the bat is bank that money and, and, and try your best to not spend it because it's, you don't know what's going to come down the pike. Like I'm currently saving up to end frame this truck with the way the market's currently going. And with, with the way truck prices have just been all over the place this last two years, it just makes more sense for me to rebuild this than what it is to try to buy a new one and get into a payment. So like that's that's currently the goal is I'm saving up the money. I'm going to end frame the rig and then I'm going to redo the screws at the same time. You know, this way I could try to get that fuel economy like with having like a, a good solid engine. And um, the good thing is the good the good thing, Chris, is that with the D13, I can I can tell you you're not going to have to end frame that till at least twelve hundred uh, one point one point two. I can confidently say that the D13s are solid engines. You could, that's good. You're doing it. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but definitely you have some time, which I would argue if you watch how the engine's running and performing, you might run into additional set of problems with emissions, because if you start, um, you know, if you're going to start having a lot of soot and you're going to be, you're going to watch, watch the injectors because that's going to just clog up your system again. And that's going to cost you a, a pretty penny to get that fixed. Right. But, uh, as far as in frame, I, um, I'm pretty confident you're not going to have to do it for a long time, as long as you take care of the, the engine and, um, just emissions, right. To me, always the emissions are the, the biggest enemy, because if you don't have enough dry powder in your, in your savings account, to tackle that, uh, it usually wipes people out uh, just because it's a very expensive fix because a lot of troubleshooting and then trying to find the issue, you fix it, and then your engine has issues, and then you're messing it up again, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, it's, and it's, some, it's, it's another section of the truck that has to be serviced on the regular, too. Mm-hmm. Like, probably one of the biggest issues that my buddy had when he ran this truck when and i especially when i was driving it i I wasn't helping either was like he he never had the truck serviced for that portion of the of the engine at all 
And because of that, I ended up rebuilding it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just what it boils down to. But if you regularly service it, just like you do anything else, yeah, it costs more. It costs more to service that sort of such. But as long as you're doing those sorts of things and keeping everything clean as best you can in regular intervals, it's going to last just as long as everything else does. You know, I mean, Volvo even comes out or has a sheet that tells you, like, you know, this is when this needs clean. This is when this needs done. This is, you know, you know that's something I didn't even realize they had until my first major repair. Yeah. Oh. And um, now I kind of, now I follow it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, true. Uh, what is, what do you think is missing in the oper owner-operator world? What do you think owner operators need more of? What do we need more? Honestly, it, it's for whatever reason, this, this industry has turned into an every man for himself rather than actually helping others anymore. And I, and I don't know why it made that, that change that it did. Um, I've spoken to a lot of drivers that it, 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 it's almost kind of like fishing. You know, everybody has like that one fishing hole that they go to and they never want to give up or get rid of or, or help others out because they got maybe a particular technique or a particular lure or they've got a, or something, right? The same things in the trucking industry, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, we're all trying to make money here and we're all trying to, I, and I, I understand that we're competing with each other. You know, even, even here at Landstar, I compete with other DCOs for the freight that I grab. But at the same time, we don't want to see anybody fail either. And that's, that's kind of the hardest thing to get over is like when you see somebody, somebody struggling, or if you notice that there's a, that they're about to struggle, it's, 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 it's helping to get them informed of well, what hurdle they're about to go over and what they're going to have to save up for. I mean, this, this conversation is one of them. You were, you know, you talked about, you know, having to worrying about that SDR coming up here real soon. Like I know it's something I'm going to have to, that I'm going to have to deal with in the near future. But I didn't know that six months ago. I didn't know that eight months ago. It wasn't until I had another conversation with another Volvo owner, kind of like what we're having now for me to learn that, you know, and, and it's those kinds of things, you know, Yeah. and yeah. people have, and that, that, there was a there was a time here at Landstar where I, where I was kind of struggling with booking freight, and like the the various Facebook groups that I was on could see that I was struggling a little bit, and you know I spoke to my advisor, my advisor poked me into a couple other people, and they were giving me a couple of the honey holes to talk to to be able to get freight going, and it was like it was right after I just got done spending fifteen grand, about cleared myself out because I didn't realize that. I thought having 15 grand and I'd be just fine for our, for, uh, for money enough. And I did that in one shot. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so like now I've got that mentality, like everything, like as much as I can throw in there, I can, you know, obviously yeah. I got to keep the house and the wife and the kids happy, you know, and, and that's fine. But like uh, the truck is what feeds the table at the end of the day, you know, exactly. and it, and it's why I like help. I, like I try my best to help others that have those kinds of questions when it comes to financing is like, like right now I run a zero debt company and I, and I have from day one, um, kind of proud of that. Somewhat you annoyed by it at times. No, you should be. That's, that's hell of a job. 
No, I, I do my best. <laughs> Granted, I got lucky, I, lucky buying the truck that I'm in now, but I mean, it's, you know, but the, she's been running really good here lately. I haven't, haven't really had issues since February at all. She's, you know, pretty strong rig. Um, the market is what's been trying to, trying to work around, but you know, the dedicated help, you know, but it, it took hard work to get, you know, to, to set that dedicated up and to get that relationship made with the agents to do so. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you're definitely doing a hell of a job. And I, I was going to ask you, what do you think we could do uh, in our owner operator forum group? What do you think? Um, what, do, what do you think we should? How can we? You know, I started a Facebook group just because I, I wanted to take it away from the YouTube and more of a have a community where really owners care about helping each other. It's just not that you know uh, ego or maybe just like hey like genuinely trying to help. And I I've noticed you've been helping a lot and I appreciate that because this is it. That's why I was like hey I want to talk to Chris because uh, that's what I that's what. I want to do at heart is I want to help as much as I can with whatever I can. So drivers can do better choices and maybe have some more info and ha make better decisions. What do you think we could do more in our own operator forum group? Probably the, the one thing that I would say that we could do more is, is kind of helping people understand the financial side of things. Um, because it, it is like it's, it's the, the the statistic that blows me away the most is that three out of every ten owner operators actually make it as an owner operator after five years. Yeah, like that is such a small number of drivers, and and the biggest killer is is being able to manage their money, and so it would it would be really neat. I don't, I don't know how we would be able to implement it or how I could even help to implement it, but it would be how, how do we set up a deal to be able to help others understand that finances are very important and to try to put back as much as you can to the truck. Because a lot of people have this mentality, and my buddy has this problem. He still has this problem now. Um, he thinks that you get paid first and then the truck gets paid. And that is such a that's a terrible way of going about doing it. The truck needs it, it regardless of what happens during the week. If you have a baller week, you make sure the truck gets it, you know, gets that extra bonus for that baller week. And if you're having, if you had a terrible week, you know, maybe you go, you don't come home with as much cheddar, but the truck still needs its money regardless of what it is. And that, that is so hard for people to wrap their head around because that's just not the mentality they're used to having. They, you know, they, they come out here and they do this and they get the first few paychecks and they're like, wow, I just made $10,000 or I just made $20,000 in a month. And then they go blow it. They go buy a car or they buy a boat or they, they maybe they buy a bigger house than what they should, you know, that or maybe they put a bunch of chrome on their rig or, or do a bunch of such. And then, then when it comes down to actually fixing the truck, when a major breakdown happens, then they try to, well, oh, well, I can't do this. I have to finance it. Then they go finance it. And then they don't pay off what they finance because they're like, oh, well, I just got a payment. Truck will, truck will be fine for another six months. Let me tell you, it's not how that works in the real world. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's how a it good, works in the real world. That's a good, that's my, a good my, advice. Go, sorry, go ahead. 
and my, my dad had a big influence on that. My dad was a farmer for many years and I, I even helped him out when I was a kid and all the way up into my teens, kind of watching him, how he budgeted money for the farm because he made sure that the farm took care of itself each year. He didn't really make a lot of money off of it, but, or at least, okay, profit, he didn't really make much off of it. But, like, the farm still made enough money to, to buy its own seed, fix its own equipment, do all that sort of stuff. And then I just kind of translated that to what I'm currently doing now, which is, like, a lot of drivers would have went belly up with with the repairs that I that I had to make just in the year and a half of owning this rig. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... I agree with you 100%. I I almost want to take it a little... uh, My angle always was, uh, you know, the the entry level, the entry to trucking is somewhat low because you can just go out and buy a rig, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of owners don't make it because not only they don't have the financial maybe knowledge or maybe resources to learn about uh, about it, but what what I look at is... Right. When you buy a truck, which is what you do, what, how you did it, you have to have this enough cushion and just take care of it as a long-term investment. Th- think about it as a long-term plan and, a, and mm-hmm. running it as a business. And that's primarily the problem with, with owner ops. Like you said, they're getting the big paychecks and all of a sudden uh, transmission goes out and you're out 15000 Well, and you have a nice car, but the truck needs that transmission, right? And it's a... It's a diff. It's a. It is a learning curve. One, obviously, because you have to, you know, really be committed to making it. Like if you commit to, hey, I'm gonna figure this out. Is what do you do? You 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 educate yourself. And when I drove as a uh, as an owner up when I started my company, same thing. I would listen to people, try to find resources to be able to to. Hey, how can I how can I do this? And and that's what I think. I would like to provide. Uh, is exactly what we're doing right now is talking about it, but two, having a community in which owners like you, uh, new owners come in and have the mentor-mentee relationship where guys could really have some advice from guys on how to make it better because ultimately my goal is to do better trucking and that's just my mission, right? Like I, it doesn't have to be uh, spectacular and you're not going to be a millionaire, but you should, just, you should just try to do it a little better. And I, I really appreciate... The feedback is I do, I do miss, I missed it. I missed, I missed, I have a lot of content that that's about trucks because that's where I feel a lot of the money sucking mistakes happen. That's why I want to talk about trucks mm-hmm. because usually um, that helps uh, a lot. And then, but you're right, the financial aspect uh, of being an owner operator is something that is very important and, and the cash flow, understanding cash flows and how to, how to manage your money. You're, it's a good feedback, man. I really appreciate that. Well, see, and, and I, I rarely work on my own rig. Like, and it's nine times out of ten, if, if there's something that needs fixed on the truck, I take it to somebody else to go do it and get it done. But I can only do that because of the fact that I've, I'm, I'm disciplined enough to make sure that there's money in savings for the truck for that to happen. Like, the truck has its own account to deal with those sorts of problems and to deal with those sorts of things. And yeah, I could probably save money by doing a lot of that myself. But, you know, I've also got a three-year-old at home. And to me, it's worth the money to take it to a dealer or take it to my mechanic or one of those, one of those sorts of deals, you know, and, and just have them do it. And at, but at, the, but at um, the same time, I would argue, you, you know what to tell them. Like you understand your rig, right? Yeah. And, and I see I that do. on my shop side. 
that that's not necessarily the case and standard uh, drivers come with trucks and they have no idea what's going on and then they're upset because you tell them their you know scr is out right and and right. they need a new scr so so i i agree i agree with you you don't necessarily have to work on your truck you just have to know and understand the truck to make sure that the the shop you work with is not coming up with crazy things and and uh, whatever truck you're driving like like this is probably one of my one of my other pieces of advice that i would give to especially new driver is whatever truck you decide to buy and all trucks have their own quirks stay away from international with their navistar engine or whatever that max that, max oh force yeah. max force and oh god stay away from that period don't buy one <laughs> but usually most seller trucks like every one of them have their own quirks right i mean it's that's just the thing but learning those quirks understanding when what will go out when knowing that ahead of time is huge it'll really allows you to budget ahead of time for like you'll be like okay well i i drive a, a you know well we'll take my truck for example i know that this truck is an injector fiend you know usually three hundred thousand four hundred thousand put a six pack in it like that's that's just what's going to happen right so i know that in that time i'm going to budget to make sure that i have that money in in the account later on to where when that problem arises i just get it done yeah you know, and, and it doesn't matter what truck you drive. Cascadia's are the same way. They have their own quirks. You've got, you know, Kenworth's doing their own thing. You've got Peter Bell's in their own thing. Packard is in their whole other league. You know, I mean, every engine has their own quirk. Every transmission has their own quirk. So you, it's, it's all, it's, and you can do a lot of research on it. There are a ton of YouTube videos, forums that you can join. Um, I'm actually part of a group. It's a Volvo Masters group. It's a that, great group, like yeah. Have, I'm there too, yeah. You know, you have issues with your rig or maybe you've got codes that popped up that you don't know what they are. You know, they they are more than willing to help you go through and kind of give you at least a general idea. You know, this way when you go and talk to a dealership, you can kind of point them in somewhat of a near direction as to what you're looking at and what you're thinking, you know, and then they can kind of go from there and take it from there. Yeah. Um, but that's that's huge is, is, is learning because i'm not a diesel tech i went to college for automotive like i can i i was trained on how to build cars and how to make them go fast you know I, that's that's what i did in college i don't know a dang thing about diesels when it comes to that matter but i've had go, go ahead, I've, I've had a learning curve with this rig and learning the various different things to um this way, I, I actually sound fairly confident when I go to a dealer, but then I also know what I'm looking for when I'm free tripping my truck, you know, and like especially looking for the common issue. Yeah. No, you definitely do uh, know your stuff. And I would say um, we I would just want to know from you, what's your plan for the future now? Uh, what what how are you seeing next three years for yourself and what's your what are your plans? Well, the next three years next three years i'll probably still be in this rig i'd like to have something different myself and it's just this particular year of truck and engine are a little bit more of the problem child um it's when you get into uh, you get a little bit newer truck before they did the, the common rail and they're they're a bit more reliable um 
I don't, I don't know why Volvo has that, but it's like they do a first generation of anything and then it just kind of goes downhill. It's, it's, um, it's like that it's with everybody. The second or third. Yeah. Yeah. You get into the second or third iteration, all of a sudden things are working well. Um, but I'll pr probably have a different truck in three years by that point. That or I'll have this one rebuilt and drive it. We'll see what the market does. But like, I really have no intentions of expanding into like, I'm probably just going to just do this one truck and call it a day. Um, but like, I'm, I hate doing paperwork. It's probably the one thing I hate most. Like, I just want to drive the truck and my wife won't do the secretary work either. So, <laughs> so I'm stuck doing all of it. So I, I couldn't imagine trying to do payroll with like this or like i commend you 100 percent on that there's no way i could do payroll at the same time of trying to pay a bunch of like i i i barely even trust anybody to move my truck from my parking spot to a garage let alone let somebody drive it across the country and haul freight <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah well and, and you know what it's you can have a really good life doing what you're doing and i it's either mm -hmm. all in or owner up that's how i looked at it i really enjoyed it as a single owner operator but i wanted to you know i wanted to build something else and i i understand it's like if you figure this out and you can make money and you have a life that you want and you're happy that's the number one thing that i that i go for right like you you don't have to you don't have to build a fleet of trucks you don't have to build a trucking company you can have a really nice life uh being one truck operator but chris it's been an hour believe it or not and um i read yeah i know right <laughs> so let's do let's plan for this next time you're in chicago uh just hit me up uh text me and just stop by at the shop and we'll chat a little more and maybe shoot something i want to shoot a video with your rig and there you uh, go yeah are you gonna are you planning to be here uh, anytime soon or do you have a load already uh, booked well, I'm, I'm hoping to get an APU installed on the truck. I think I got it scheduled for July. We're going to see how that goes. Uh, and having a green APU put in. Yeah, those... Green's a company. It's not a battery one. Yeah. But uh, from what I'm told, green's a pretty good unit to buy, um, as well as like Thermal King. But I kind of like the idea of being able to go to O'Reilly's and buy parts for it. So, which is why I'm going with the green APU instead. Yeah, I know. The, I know those guys. Good. That's a good unit. Uh, and we're not too far. So if you are planning to come and you're scheduled, just again, shoot me a text and let's stop by. And or even before, if you're around, just let me know. I'm I'm around always uh, around the shop or in the shop or in here. And it would be nice to, you know, uh, chat more about trucks and other things that that are happening in the industry. So appreciate you, man. I, I'm going to keep you any yeah, anytime longer. Thank you for for taking time and you know talking to me and sharing your your experience and then uh, again um, be be safe out there man and I I um, I appreciate everything you do out there hustling doing doing something for yourself and I always you have my full support as an owner if there's anything I can help uh, I'm here. Well, I definitely love the channel. Um, actually, one of your your videos were kind of what got me started when I first bought this truck. I was watching the different Volvo videos uh, that you had. I know you're a fan of D12s, and I had a D13, but I'm like, it just kind of made me appreciate that. Like, you know, like no, it's not a Kenworth, and no, it's not a Peterbilt, but they can be a very loved truck, and they are nice. Like, I, I won't argue the creature comforts of this thing is amazing, and the drivability is even like. That's what's hard to get over. I've driven many trucks, and Volvos are the easiest truck to drive on the highway. And the most comfortable, and I, I, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
And I do. I, I, I'm the a only big... thing I don't like are the seats. Yeah, the seats. Yeah, yeah. But I, I can tell you about what I what I did. I have a lot of the D13s. Uh, I do have a lot of D13s right now. I I don't have any D12s. But again, to me, next to the 12.7 Detroit, uh, the D12 is one of the best engines built. So, again, thank you, Agreed. Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, let you go. Appreciate you again, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, subscribe, share, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.